done with Jeremiah because we're going to continue on into Lamentations. And then my hope is, uh, assuming we don't have any more snow days, um, to have a kind of recap of the Jeremiah Lamentations um, uh, section together. So, so that's the plan. Uh, but before I read the text for us this morning and introduce it, uh, let me open us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we do uh, uh, give you glory and praise for you alone are God. You are the uh, creator of the heavens and the earth. Um, you rule all places uh, in all times uh, by your power. And we ask uh, this morning, uh, as we um, uh, live in our contemporary world, uh, that you would teach us about uh, your people in the past, as we look at the fall of Jerusalem uh, and your people being taken into captivity, um, give us uh, a conviction of our own sinfulness, uh, both as individuals, but also um, as members of nations uh, and communities, uh, how um, we so often uh, are going, uh, not just not doing the things you've commanded us to do, but going against those very commandments, doing the opposite. So we pray you would convict us of our sin, uh, show us how to live in our current age, how to live faithfully to you, but most of all, uh, help us look, uh, even as we see the hope of restoration uh, promised at the end of Jeremiah, that we would look to you as our redeemer, uh, that you, uh, through your son Jesus Christ, have secured uh, an eternal peace uh, and an eternal um, uh, restoration with you and your heavenly kingdom. And that is uh, for what uh, we hope uh, and long uh, to be with our risen Savior. We do pray uh, that uh, you would take that gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us uh, and you would use that spirit uh, to teach us this morning as we speak of your word together. May that spirit uh, lead us into all truth. Uh, and we pray that it would open our eyes open our ears, uh, convict our hearts. And we ask all this in the name of our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 52, the final chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and as you're flipping there, let me just recount where we've been the last several weeks. So since chapter 46, we have been in a section of Jeremiah um, that uh, collects prophecies concerning the nations. Um, it started in chapter 46 uh, with Egypt, and it ended in chapters uh, 50 and 51 with Babylon. And we saw the big kind of like overarching theme of that um, section of judgments concerning the nations is that God will bring, both, will bring down both the arrogant nations and the false gods that they worship, uh, like Bel Marduk of the Babylonians. Uh, and particularly, we saw last week how the judgments um, that God is bringing on the nations mirrors the evil things that they have committed against others and particularly against um, the people of God. Now, chapter 51, if you, you kind of look up, see, you can see that chapter 51 ends with this, this uh, clause, thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So that's, you know, a concluding sentence. So we... We, we might think, okay, well, that's the end. Because <laughs> if you remember, we've, we've already seen the fall of Jerusalem. 
Uh, he narrated that for us back in chapter 39. Um, so we've already seen the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, and then the following chapters uh, after chapter 39 told us about the fate of the remaining people in Judah with, who started to prosper under the governor Gedaliah, but Gedaliah is assassinated, which creates another uh, major disturbance uh, leading to this group of people to self-exile themselves to Egypt, and they drag Jeremiah along with them. And we saw the kind of like sad state of that community as, as Jeremiah describes it, um, steadfastly refusing to do away uh, with their idols. So it's almost as a sense as if as we come to chapter 52 and Jeremiah re-narrates the fall of Jerusalem, so we get it for the second time um, in the, the book of Jeremiah, um, it's as if he doesn't want to leave his final word concerning Babylon. <laughs> Uh, that it's almost like the book of Jeremiah doesn't want to end with prophecies concerning Babylon. So he turns back to um, thinking about the people of God. It's also, I would say, uh, I was thinking a lot about this as I was walking the dog uh, this morning, this question, why tell essentially the same story twice? Um, there are differences, as we can talk about um, this morning, from chap between chapter 39 and chapter 52, but I think also he doesn't want to leave us with the last word concerning the survivors of the fall and destruction of Jerusalem with those people who went to Egypt. Because we, as we saw, like for, for Jeremiah, that is a, um, that's a dead end. Um, those people are going nowhere in terms of their, their future. The future of Judah lies with the people we'll see described in chapter 52. These people who are taken captive uh, to the land of Babylon. Um, and so that, it's almost as if he's, he's emphasizing as he ends the book um, that it's, he wants to tell us again of the fall of Jerusalem, um, but he also wants to sort of like lay these seeds of hope of the, this remnant that was taken to Babylon. That is the, where um, that, that branch from the stump is going to sprout. Um, so with that as a word of introduction, let me read for us Jeremiah chapter 52. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, things came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine was so severe that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled and went out from the city by night by way of a gate between the two walls by the king's garden, while the Chaldeans were around the city. And they went in the direction of the Arabah, 
But the army of Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the, king, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poorest of the people and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke into pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the basins and the dishes for incense, and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. Also the small bowls and the fire pans and the basins and the pots and the lampstands and the dishes for incense, and the bowls for drink offerings. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea, the twelve bronze bulls were, that were under the sea, and the stands which Solomon the king had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these things was beyond weight. As for the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, its circumference was 12 cubits, and its thickness was four fingers, and it was hollow. And on its capital of bronze, the height of one capital was five cubits. A network, of pom a network and pomegranates, all of bronze, were around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with pomegranates. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates were 100 upon the network all around. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and seven men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and, seven, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city, and Nebuzaradan, and the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken in exile out of its land. This is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans 745 persons. 
All the persons were 4,600. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance, was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death, as long as he lived. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. Okay, as I mentioned in the introduction, this is the second time that Jeremiah gives us an account of the fall of Jerusalem. So, so I want us to, to start by thinking why. Why tell us information that some of which he's already given us, um, the same story, overall story, he's already given us. And my kind of second related question is how does this chapter form an apt conclusion for the book? So, so kind of why end here? Yeah, so, so two things. One, I mean, as we look at this chapter, like, it, it gives us all the bleak details again. The, the city is burned. The walls are de destroyed. And again, it's not like sometimes you get um, the destruction of the city in the course of a war. Like, you know, um, like uh, Hamburg gets bombed in the course of World War II. This is different. Um, notice, it's a systematic destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan goes back the month after the city's fallen. <laughs> um, and that's when he starts burning stuff down and they systematically dismantle the walls. So it, we get that, that bleak, harsh, systematic destruction of the city of God, the temple of God, and the removal of, of some of the people of God. And so, like, you can imagine, like, it'd be really bleak. But there, there is hope uh, in this. Um, so, and, and as we'll dig into it, uh, I think we can see traces of that hope, um, as Dave says. One, in the, that there are survivors. There, there are people who yet live. And we can count them. And notice how, like, specific the numbers of captives that the book of Jeremiah is presenting us with. Three separate captivities, a spe very specific number of captives for each one. Um, and, you know, it kind of, so by ending there, like, there's still this hope. Um, and also, with, like, the very last thing, um, you know, this, the, the kind treatment that Jokiah receives in the midst of Babylon after 37 years of imprisonment, um, you know, ends his, his days... Um, well, still in Babylon, but, you know, that in itself is kind of like 
you know, we get the darkness of the destruction, but there's this kind of glint of dawn there. Um, kind of like, wait, I, my, I, somehow, for some reason, well, I'm department chair, so I did it to myself. I'm teaching an eight o'clock class this semester, which means I'm leaving my house in, in early in the morning. And so I'm walking to the train, and it is dark. <laughs> like the rail trail I take, like there, there's no um, light pollution. It's really dark. Um, but then you kind of like get the glimpse of dawn coming. So I kind of met, like even in the midst of this very dark scene, there's still this kind of hint of, of light uh, coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's, it's on the way. Good. Why else? Narrate it twice. Yeah, it, it's probably like, again, as we think about um, the, the book itself, it's probably put together in its final form by someone other than Jeremiah. So somebody who's kind of like you think, like we think of Moses being the, the author of the books of the Pentateuch. Well, those books of the Pentateuch narrate Moses' own death. <laughs> so it's like, you know, Jeremiah wrote these things, but someone has put them in their final packaged form for us. And they probably added that as, as kind of a postlude, um, you know, this prophetic postlude, um, because it's coming well after, like, I mean, if you think about it, this is after, you know, the events of chapter 52, the fall of Jerusalem, happened 26 years earlier. So they've been in Babylon for 26 years when Jehoiakim gets released. Um, you know, he's been there 37 years. But this next wave of captives have been there 26 years. Um, so it's still kind of like right in the midst of those 70 years of captivity. And so to like, again, I think to give us a, a postscript, an epilogue, like that description of Jehoiakim is, is put on at the end. And to your first point, I think you're absolutely right. Like there are a lot of, of common connections between chapter 52 and chapter 1. So, and, and you're absolutely right to take us back to what Jeremiah was called to do um, and how Jeremiah in itself um, had looked forward to this moment, not looked forward and like, like gleefully looking forward to something, but you know, like this was the directive uh, that the entire book was heading to this moment of chapter 52. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests, who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. 
Um, and then chapter one, again, goes on. Uh, he's appointed, God appoints him to be a prophet for the nations. Uh, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And, and here we're, we're seeing the destruction, the overthrow, but this hopes, you know, that, that, that have been planted throughout the book. And again, we see seeds of it here in chapter 52 of these hopeful words. And then the second thing we saw in chapter one is God's um, promise to protect Jeremiah, to uphold his life, to put a wall around him all his days. So he, he prophesies all these things and, and endures them alongside all his, all his fellow Judeans and, and residents of Jerusalem. Like he endures it all, but God has protected him through all of it. So it's, in a sense, it's saying all the things that Jeremiah said was going to happen, look, they happened. Um, and that should, just in itself, again, give us a hopeful note because, you know, just as God's words of cursing have been shown to be true, so true are his words of blessing, uh, of restoration, that he's going to do a greater work. He's going to... Um, create this new covenant with them. So just as we've seen God's faithfulness in bringing right judgments upon his people exactly the way he said it was going to happen, so too we can hope in that future restoration. For some reason, um, uh, <laughs> um, the, this Clint Eastwood movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, comes in my mind. But anyway, so there's this scene in the movie where Josie Wales is meeting with the Comanche um, chief, Tin Bears. And they're like negotiating, are we gonna fight each other to the death <laughs> and one of us is gonna die? Um, and so they're, they're, the way Tin Bears describes it, he, he says, I can see your words of death are true. And therefore, I know your words of life will also be true. And that line, for some reason, popped into my head um, while I was thinking about this, that like, just as God's words of death, uh, destruction, judgment have pro proved true, so true then we can trust in his words of life and restoration for those people. Um, but to back to Ronnie's point, like, it, it really does show that everything that Jeremiah has been saying over his entire prophetic career were true. People didn't want to believe it then, they have to believe it now. Good. Other things about why in the chapter on, on this note before we start digging into details. So it starts with, a, chapter 52 starts with, you know, chronicling uh, Zedekiah, giving us a little more information. So what does the, the end of Jeremiah want to emphasize about uh, Judah's last king? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, and like some people with our passage, like 
This reference, he, he leaves the poorest in the land. Is that a social commentary on these people? They're poor, so like, why fool with these poor people? Or is it a moral? <laughs> is it a moral? Like he left the, the poor people. And, and again, we, we saw earlier, we've already seen what happens to those people. Like they, they, they haven't learned a thing. <laughs> um, they rebel again. Like they've just seen Jerusalem destroyed because of a rebellion against um, Babylon and against King Nebuchadnezzar. And they do it again by killing uh, Gedaliah. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I think God is superintending, like, like the, with the, the destruction of, like, the 60 people, um, 60 men of the people of land, um, most people think this was just a random, like, the Babylonians being, like, you, you, and you. We're, we're going to, you know, execute you to make an example of you. Like, so he's taking spe very specific leaders, the chief priest, uh, Zephaniah, the second priest, the three keepers of the threshold, an officer, like, so he's taking, like, specific people from different classes of, and then he's just taking, the, and the phrase there, 60 men, like, it's 60 ordinary people um, is the, the way that you should read that. It's, it's like just 60 random people off the street that he's executing. So the Babylonians are doing what they're doing, and they're, they're wanting to send a message. Like, again, you execute people um, both to punish that person for a crime, but also as a deterrent to other, this, you rebel, this is what happens to you. You allow your, your, your officials to rebel, even though you're Joe Schmo uh, from you know, Jerusalem that had nothing to do with anything. Nope, <laughs> you're part of the city. Uh, we're going to make an example of you. Um, you know, it's, it's a warning to others. Um, you know. Yeah, like, what are they interested in? They're interested in people who are smart. Um, you know, think Daniel and, and his friends. They're interested in people who can build stuff, craftsmen who's got skilled labors. They're interested in, and field, field labors, again, like um, teaching an environmental history class right now, and we, we're doing uh, ancient civilizations, Sumer, Babylon, and their effects on, uh, you know, a big city, you need, like, the more people you have congregated in the city, the bigger agricultural footprint you have to have to support that city. So they need skilled people in the city itself, and then they just need workers to supply the, you know, the needs of the city. 